0: Welcome to Sunday
1: School for Heathens. The show where we learn about Christianity and how weird it sounds to everyone else. I'm Shannon. And I'm Brian. I am not a priest and I don't have a degree in theology. I'm just the kind of guy who's getting a book of common prayer in the mail and is pretty excited about it.
0: Wow, that is not the kind of mail I get excited about. (laughs) But I've been ordering less things on the internet so far this month, so I've had less exciting mail coming to my house.
1: What kind of mail sparks joy for you?
0: (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. Usually fun random things I get on on Amazon.
1: <laughs> the best part is that reference is going to be even more out of date by the time this, this episode airs.
0: I don't know. I think the uh, Mari Kondo spark joy will live for a long time. Okay. Because I read her book like ages ago. So the idea of thinking about if something sparks joy was already old hat to me before her Netflix series came out. That's fair. And now it's just back, so I think it's stuck around. It's going to stick around for a while.
1: That also sounds very you, just that concept.
0: Yeah, and I still have too much stuff. It happens. I'm overdue for a round of the KonMari. Okay, what are we talking about this week, Brian?
1: This week we're talking about the parable of the Good Samaritan.
0: Okay, interesting. It's uh, been. A- have we done a parable before?
1: We have mentioned some. Mm-hmm. Uh, we mentioned the parable of the Talents in yes we did uh prosperity gospel episode
0: yeah all right so we this is our first full episode on a parable
1: yeah have we specifically talked about what a parable is
0: i'm not sure we have okay so let's start there
1: yeah so a parable is a short fictional story that demonstrates a moral or religious idea It's different from a fable, because fables can have characters that are plants or animals or inanimate objects, but a parable is just human characters. Okay,
0: so this feels like the real world, even though it's fiction.
1: Yeah. Cool. It stays pretty close to life. Great. Jesus did a lot of his teaching through parables. He usually set them in familiar places with familiar things happening, but he would always have, like, a little M. Night Shyamalan twist. Ooh. (laughs) Though sometimes it's hard for modern audiences to appreciate these twists because we don't understand the original context as well.
0: All right. So they don't feel like twists to us anymore.
1: Yeah, especially because a lot of people grew up with these stories and are just kind of used to them.
0: Yeah. There's no surprise.
1: Exactly. So this parable that we're talking about, the parable of the Good Samaritan, is only in the Gospel of Luke. Okay. We ha- we talked about Luke in the episode on Confirmation. The Gospel of Luke is the first half of the two-part work that includes Acts of the Apostles.
0: Yes, that is correct. Yeah. I- it all coming back to me now.
1: Yeah, just give it a refresher. Yeah. This Gospel was probably written sometime between 85 and 95 CE, and it was written predominantly for a Gentile audience.
0: Okay, that's good to know.
1: Yeah, just a little context as we go in. Mm-hmm. And now here we are at the story.
0: I love a good story.
1: So we begin with a legal scholar coming up to Jesus. And he asks, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus responds, well, what does the law say? Our lawyer friend says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, yes, correct. Do that. (laughs) Great. The lawyer asks, well... Who counts as my neighbor? Because he was looking to justify the things that he'd been doing. And with that, we leave this framing device behind and Jesus immediately launches into the parable.
0: Oh, great. So this is a framing device and <laughs> not actually the parable. Correct. <laughs> Lovely.
1: There was a man traveling down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And as a theology professor once told me, the road to Jericho is a lot like Southern California hilly and full of thieves. <laughs>
0: Because let me tell you, this traveler's about to happen upon a thief.
1: He is. How do you guess?
0: (laughs) I guess if it's anything like Southern California.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, it is not surprising that this man was ambushed by thieves, who stripped him, beat him, and left him for dead. Then, a priest came down the road a short while later. When he saw the man, he crossed to the other side of the road and kept walking.
0: Mean priest.
1: Then, a Levite came down the road. He, too, crossed to the other side of the street and kept walking.
0: I like that this street has so many has sides. It's not just like a small road. I mean, it's
1: not paved. I assume it's a, a, a path. It's okay. wide enough that you gotta get your, your animals.
0: Okay, I guess that's true. I just feel like if you're in a road, there's less sides than if you were on sidewalks on a paved road. I think they probably,
1: like, he pushed was in him a off to something. the side. Yeah, I think they okay. left him for dead in a
0: ditch. Alright. Okay, so the priest and the Levite have left him behind.
1: Then, a Samaritan traveler comes down the road and sees the man. This man was moved with compassion. He stopped, and he poured oil and wine over the wounds and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his donkey and took him to an inn to care for him. The next day, he took out two silver coins, and he gave them to the innkeeper. And he said, take care of this man. If it costs more than this, I will repay you on my way back through town. Then, with the parable finished, Jesus asks, who was the injured man's neighbor? The lawyer sheepishly answered, the one who treated him with mercy, I guess. (laughs) and jesus said now go do that (laughs) and for once in his life the normally smug lawyer was speechless that isn't in there i'm just picking on lawyers
0: (laughs) shout out to our lawyers not our lawyers you know who you are
1: (laughs) so that's the story
0: okay now what is the samaritan
1: (laughs) we'll get to that first i'm going to explain the the first two the first two characters So we have a priest and a Levite. I've talked about Levites in the past. Yeah. I've kind of used the term pretty interchangeably with priest in the past, but this isn't exactly accurate. Okay,
0: so break it down more specifically for me.
1: All priests were Levites, not all Levites were priests. Great. A priest is a specific subset. Basically, the Levites had some special ritual duties in the temple... But certain duties, like sacrifices, were reserved for priests.
0: And the Levites were one of the ancient families from the Old Testament.
1: Yeah, one of the twelve tribes of Israel.
0: That's what I was looking for. There you go. You got there. I mean, I said it, just not <laughs> as specifically as I could have.
1: Concepts are more important than specific words.
0: Thanks, I appreciate it. <laughs> I'm glad that I'm not being quizzed.
1: <laughs> really, <laughs> only at the end. <laughs> only at the end. <laughs> so, the three basic classes of religious people would have been priests, then Levites, then laypeople. Or just whether the average Israelite.
0: Okay. So it would be
1: expected that the third person to come along down the road would be just a regular Jewish person. Uh, there are some people who actually theorize that Jesus' original story was about three different Jewish people instead of having the third person be a Samaritan. Because it wouldn't have been common for a Samaritan to be on that road. These people believe that Luke changed it for his Gentile audience, but we can't really prove it either way. Okay. So some people think it's a anti-semitic later edition wow not all people think that that's just an opinion that's out there
0: the idea being that if the third person is not also a member of the jewish community then it's no longer like some jews are good too you you remove the redeeming jew from the story exactly okay
1: we're painting a bad picture of jewish people sort of the other question is why did these first two characters not stop to help great Uh, question There's a couple of pretty good reasons for why they didn't. The first is very basic. Safety. The road that Jesus is on is... Hilly and full of thieves. Hilly and full of thieves. (laughs) Uh, It's famously dangerous. There's actually a quote from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. uh, in his I've Been to the Mountaintop speech about it.
0: About the road to Jericho?
1: Yeah. He says, As soon as we got on that road, I said to my wife, I can see why Jesus used this as the setting for his parable. It's a winding, meandering road. In the days of Jesus, it came to be known as the Bloody Pass. And you know, it's possible that the priest and the Levite looked over that man on the ground and wondered if the robbers were still around. Or it's possible that they felt that the man on the ground was merely faking and he was acting like he had been robbed and hurt in order to seize them over there, lure them there for quick and easy seizure. And so the first question that the priest asked, the first question that the Levite asked was, If I stop to help this man, what will happen to me?
0: Okay. That paints a pretty good picture of of a why not stop.
1: Yeah, I figured I'd leave it to Dr. King because much better speaker than I am. (laughs) (laughs) Much better speaker than most people. (laughs) Yeah, and so again, on the topic of safety, this man had been stripped. So they didn't know where he was from by his clothing and he was passed out. So they didn't know who he was by his accent. So they ran the risk of associating with enemies if they tried to help him.
0: Fair. This was a dangerous time. Yeah.
1: Another side of this apart from the pure safety, is ritual purity. Touching a dead or dying person would have violated ritual purity laws and require the person to perform the ritual cleansing that was laid out in Mosaic Law.
0: Okay. But, like, there is a ritual cleansing. Why not take the risk and just know that you're going to have to cleanse yourself? I mean, it's
1: fairly involved.
0: Okay. So,
1: in the Book of Numbers, it talks about this cleansing practice, it says, uh, whoever touches a human corpse will be unclean for seven days. They must purify themselves with water on the third day and on the seventh day, then they will be clean. If they do not purify themselves on the third and seventh days, they will not be clean. If they fail to purify themselves after touching a human corpse, they defile the Lord's tabernacle and they must be cut off from Israel because the water of cleansing has not been sprinkled on them. They're unclean. Their uncleanliness remains on them. Also, if they touch anything while unclean, that will be unclean. And anyone who touches that thing will be unclean until evening.
0: Okay, so it's seven days of basically being stuck in your house.
1: There's a lot of things that you can't do, especially if you have priestly duties and, like, are trying to do things in the temple. Which, the temple was in Jerusalem, so they weren't going that direction. Well, I guess they could have been. It doesn't say which which direction they were headed.
0: But still, okay, that makes sense if it's going to be a huge hassle.
1: Yeah, and there are even more specific rules for priests in Leviticus. This says that he must not enter a place where there is a dead body. He must not make himself unclean, even for his father or mother, nor leave the sanctuary of his God or desecrate it because he has been dedicated to the anointing oil of his God. I am the Lord. Hence the passage. (laughs) But yeah, so very specific. Don't do this. But there is another Jewish document called the Mishnah that has... An exception for a neglected corpse. Okay. But whether that rule was known to them, whether that rule was around, I found varying answers on that.
0: And also, what defines a neglected corpse? Is this even a corpse? Has it been neglected? If so, for how long? Et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of religious bureaucracy to right. get into here.
1: And I don't know the specifics of if it was good enough justification that they had. Fair. Okay, so that's the Jewish characters. Great. Then we get to the Samaritan character. So this is a very short, very simplified history of Samaritans based on the first book of Kings.
0: Great. I'm ready.
1: Very simplified. I just want to point that out. There are other things that happen. After the death of King Solomon in 975 BCE, the nation of Israel split into north and south. The northern tribes were collectively called Israel after this point, and their capital city was Samaria. Samaria. The southern tribes were collectively called Judah, and their capital city was Jerusalem. The northern kings broke a bunch of God's rules, and they were punished by having an invasion upon them by the Assyrians in 724 BC. Then the Assyrians intermarried with the surviving Israelites, and this ended up being the basis for the Samaritans. Okay. The southern Jews, Jew comes word Judah, they also broke a bunch of God's laws and they were conquered by the Babylonians and sent into exile for 70 years as punishment. By the time the Jews came back from exile, both sides had developed culturally and religiously in different ways. The Samaritans had slightly adapted their practices to assimilate, and they started using Aramaic scripture instead of Hebrew. Okay. On the other side, the Jews had built up a much more legalistic framework as a way to repent for their past infractions. So basically, you bring these two groups back together, and the Jews really don't like the Samaritans because they don't see them as practicing the religion correctly and authentically.
0: Alright. So they both are technically practicing the same religion? Yeah, they're different sects of the same religion. Alright.
1: And the Samaritans were likewise angry at being called phonies, and so these two groups, they just would not associate. They did not get along. Yeah. The point of all that is it would be shocking to this audience that someone they hate could be their neighbor. To illustrate this point, our lawyer friend does not even want to say Samaritan out loud. He just says, the one who showed mercy.
0: Ah, there we go. Yeah, so
1: the weird thing now is Samaritan is only ever said at this point with good in front of it.
0: Yeah, what happened (laughs) to the Samaritans?
1: There are still some who exist. Okay. Um, in same lands where they've always been. It's a small sect of Judaism still practices.
0: Wow. Yeah. I had no idea. That's super cool.
1: So we've lost this context for a group that was deeply despised by the group that this story was being told to. Mm-hmm. And now we just have, like, Good Samaritan Hospital. Yeah. And, like, you're such a good Samaritan. It's not a negative connotation anymore. Yeah.
0: It's totally become its own thing.
1: Yeah. So we lose a lot of the original intent of the story through that.
0: Mm-hmm. You lose the love thy neighbor part from a religious standpoint as opposed to a secular everyone should be good to everyone sort of way.
1: Yeah. It makes it easier to to like the story, I think. Mm-hmm. For sure. So the interpretations on this story, the general view of the moral of the story is that anyone who needs your help is your neighbor. Mm-hmm. And being a good neighbor is helping those people even if you don't like them. And you can also add that helping others trumps following the law. It's another moral from it. Okay, But- a lot of people throughout history have also taken this story to be an allegory for the fall of man.
0: Okay. Well then.
1: Yeah. This explanation was uh, explained by the 3rd century theologian Origen, who we've talked about before. Yeah. He says, The man who is going down is Adam. Jerusalem is paradise. Jericho is the world. The robbers are hostile powers. The priest is the law, the Levite is the prophets, and the Samaritan is Christ. The wounds are disobedience. The beast is the lord's body. The beast meaning the donkey. The inn, which accepts all who wish to enter, is the church. And the manager of the inn is the head of the church, to whom its care has been entrusted. And the fact that the Samaritan promises he will return represents the savior's second coming.
0: This is so much. We are making choices here.
1: Oh yeah. A lot of the really church was just making choices.
0: But also like... <laughs> What an allegory these people have convinced themselves of. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know
1: if I am completely on board, but a lot of people were on board with this in the early church.
0: Wow. I mean, it is quite an allegory. Yeah. And if you like an allegory, it's, this is your allegory.
1: You know? Because we needed to wrap our parable in an allegory. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, whatever gets the job done.
1: Well, yeah. Iranius and Clement in the second century were very much on board with this. Ambrose and Augustine in the 4th century. Um, it's also the subject of several medieval stained glass windows. Um, yeah, they show both stories in parallel. Hmm. John Calvin, on the other hand, hated this. Right. He said, The allegory which is here contrived by the advocates of free will is too absurd to deserve refutation.
0: He won't even stand <laughs> to refute it. He just thinks it's insane.
1: Yeah. Not a fan. And it's those pesky... Free will believers.
0: Them and them free will. Um, Grumble, 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 Calvin.
1: Exactly. I, I, oh, in my head, he's perpetually grumpy.
0: Oh, yeah. (laughs) I imagine him, like, white-haired, very stern, Uh, always grumpy.
1: Oh, yeah. Very angry. And reading his Bible straight through, as we talked about last time.
0: (laughs) In Switzerland.
1: (laughs) So, he said the moral of this parable was that compassion, which an enemy showed to a Jew, demonstrates that the guidance and teaching of nature are sufficient to show that man was created for the sake of man. Hence, it is inferred that there is a mutual obligation between all men. So, basically, take care of each other. Don't be a jerk. (laughs) Which probably is what Jesus was getting at anyway. Yeah,
0: I don't think... (laughs) Based on the framing device, I don't think it's intended as an allegory to the fall of man. That's... I think if you eliminate the framing device, I could see... Why people would maybe believe that. But the framing device sort of eliminates a lot of the doubt there. Well, it gets
1: tricky there because most scholars have agreed, yes, this is probably an authentic Jesus parable. Yeah. But a lot of people have said, we don't know about this framing device. That might have just been Luke. (laughs) Oh, great. (laughs) So who knows? (laughs) Who knows? Over the years, people have used this passage to talk about religious tolerance, uh, racial equality, and anti-establishment messages. I mentioned Martin Luther King Jr. before. This was one of his favorites uh, in trying to convince people to act neighborly to each other instead of ignoring the suffering of marginalized people.
0: That's right, and especially if you go all the way back to the political implications of what being a Samaritan meant at the time, it is even more powerful.
1: Exactly. Today, a lot of people will substitute Muslim in for Samaritan, because that makes more sense to a lot of people in our society today where there's a lot of tension between Christians and Muslims. I can see that. That's what I've got on the parable of the Good Samaritan.
0: That's awesome. What a sweet, heartwarming story. Yeah.
1: Or a very complicated allegory, depending on who you ask.
0: very, very complicated (laughs) allegory. (laughs) Woof. Well, uh, let's put that allegory to bed, take a break, and then we'll come back for some fun. And we're back.
1: And it is time for the patronage pop quiz, where I tell Shannon about a saint, and she has to guess what they are the patron of.
0: All right. I did okay last week. Yeah. So what have I got for myself this week?
1: Well, this week was a suggestion from Anakin and Sharon.
0: Ooh. Uh, they have good feelings on saints, so I'm excited whoever Anakin and Sharon have cooked up for us.
1: Yeah, they're uh, a couple Catholic friends of mine.
0: And mine. And mine. And
1: our, yeah, ours. Yeah, ours collectively. Yes. <laughs> Th- but they're, they're Catholic, so they're mine. Yes, but I
0: introduced <laughs> you to them.
1: Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I was explaining more to the listeners than I was trying to exclude you. That's fair.
0: <laughs> but yes, it is true. Annigan and Jaron are both Catholic, and they know some fun things about saints. So what saint did they recommend?
1: They recommended Saint Sebaldas. Oh, Wow. I, I haven't heard know, of that one. Yeah, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but that's what we're going with. Great. He was born in 8th century in England. Okay. He was the son of a Danish chieftain who had settled in England. He felt the call to serve God from an early age, and so he joined up with three children of the King of Brittany, Willibald, Wunebald, and, Walpurgis. Well,
0: Great <laughs> names.
1: <laughs> yeah. <And> then... <laughs> and they dedicated themselves to religious asceticism. They picked Willibald as their leader because he was the oldest, and the group decided to travel to Rome as pilgrims. When they got there, the pope appointed Willibald a bishop and sent the group to the Reichswald area of Germany. While working there as a missionary, he performed several miracles. This is Sibaldus, not uh, Willibald. Okay. Though he might have also performed miracles. Okay. I don't
0: know. But we're talking about our actual saint.
1: Once he converted stones into bread and water into wine to feed his fellow missionaries.
0: That sounds familiar.
1: Yeah. I don't know why, if they were, like, really hungry, they needed wine.
0: But you always need wine. Nice perk. I mean, I think it's probably because water wasn't good, and so all you did was drink wine. That's fair.
1: Another time when a profane blasphemer was heckling him, He prayed, and the earth opened up to swallow this guy. Oh my god, I love it. (laughs) And as he fell into the earth, he asked for forgiveness and was spat back out.
0: (laughs) He earthbent that.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: Sobaldus, early earthbender. Oh yeah. (laughs) Or late earthbender, depending on what that timeline is.
1: I don't know. Me either. I only know religion. We've been over this. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) One time, when a poor peasant was blinded by his lord, Sobaldus restored the man's eyes by praying over him. And then this miracle is his most famous. He once took shelter in a peasant's cottage on a snowy night, but found it was almost as cold inside because the fire was low. Sobaldus suggested that more fuel should be put on the fire, but the man answered that he was too poor to keep up a decent fire. So Sobaldus turned to the housewife and asked her to bring in a bundle of long ice skulls that were hanging from the eaves. So she did. And he threw them on the fire, and they soon had a roaring fire in the hearth. (laughs)
0: Amazing.
1: (laughs) Probably in part because he was so good at miracles, he was a very popular preacher and converted many people. He ended up retiring near the future site of Nuremberg, Germany, where he split his time between being a prayerful hermit and a zealous evangelist.
0: Wow, those are two swings of a pendulum.
1: Yeah, I guess. Keep it interesting. Yeah. (laughs) One more story from after his death. For some reason, a Scottish monk was plucking the beard of St. Sobaldus' corpse. Okay. Sibaldus apparently was annoyed by this because his right hand shut up and poked out the monk's eye.
0: Oh my god! <laughs> that's terrifying!
1: So don't pluck dead saints' beards.
0: He's probably using them as relics to sell. Ooh. I'm just saying. That's actually
1: the best reason that I could think of. Yeah. <laughs> so, Shannon... What is St. Sebaldus the patron saint of?
0: All right, well, given the story of Sebaldu's most famous miracle, and the fact that we are currently recording in the midst of a polar vortex, please tell me that St. Sebaldus is the saint against the cold.
1: He is! <laughs>
0: I'm doing it! I'm doing it!
1: <laughs> he is the patron against cold weather, against cold, and for Nuremberg. Amazing. What
0: a short and sweet list.
1: Yeah, very short. I was shocked that he did not have more things.
0: Yeah, but... <laughs> Against the cold, that is the state you want when it is... I mean, my watch says that it's negative three, but I'm sure it's colder than that.
1: Yeah, guys, we're in Chicago, and two days ago, it was... Negative 50 wind chill.
0: <laughs> I didn't leave the house. It was amazing, but also really fucking cold.
1: Very, very cold. <laughs> cold.
0: No good. Brian's car won't start. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, not not a good time.
0: So thanks, St. Sabaldas, for keeping us warm and toasty in our pod recording studio this evening. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you to Adam Griffin for our awesome theme music. You can check him out at alteringgravity.wordpress.com. And thank you to David Griffin, our editor and logo designer, who is currently reading a cookbook that I recommended to him. So I hope that he is enjoying that. Stay warm out there and amen.
1: Amen. Go in peace to like and share the pod.